Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Have you, you could tell I've been taking singing lessons, right? You know, we're back. <laughs> this is Tiffany. What's up, guys? This is Mandy. Ow. So I'm excited today because we don't have guests too often. We have a guest later on for you. But first, let's talk about some foolishness that we have, um, some buzzworthy foolishness. I know, Mandy, we were talking about it a little earlier. So this whole Roseanne Barr thing, it's crazy. Is it though? I mean, I kind of feel like this was a long time coming. I mean, if there was ever a person who did not lie about who she was and what she stood for, it was this lady. But what might be the most amazing thing of all is that she did this when she had a boss like Channing Dungey. Channing Dungey, let's talk about her for a second. She, in 2016, became the first African-American president of ABC Entertainment, which just happens to, of course, oversee programming like Roseanne. So the fact that she was the one to issue a statement saying this is unacceptable, this is not what we stand for, and by the way, I'm your boss and I'm going to cancel your show, that is magical. Especially when you consider the whole reason she got in this mess in the first place and her show is now canceled is because she decided to send out this incredibly racist, ignorant, not even funny tweet about another black girl icon in the U.S., Valerie Jarrett. But first, for those of us who maybe were sleeping under or working under a rock yesterday, Tiff, do you have the tweet? Can you read? Um, tell us what all started this controversy. So she tweeted, Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby equals VJ, which is Valerie Jarrett, who was a former aide to President Obama. I'm like, wait, Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes? What? What will make you think? And then so she tweeted that at like 11... Um, 48 or 45 on May the 28th. And then at 6 a.m. on the 29th, she wrote, it's a joke. And then an hour later after that, I apologize. I'm now leaving Twitter. And then three hours after that, she apologizes directly to Valerie. And then 11.15, ABC cancels her series. I just pictured Shannon Dungey writing that memo and writing that statement and then being like, bye. Bye. So within 12 hours, with 12 hour span, I, it's almost like, I guess she was smelling herself because um, current president, um, you know, gave her a little stamp of racist, of, of racist approval and she felt like she could do no wrong. And now you lost your whole show, your whole entire show. I mean, the only sad thing is that a lot of people who probably had, you know, did not agree 
with what she said or, you know, what she stands for on who worked on this show have lost their jobs. I hope that ABC has some sort of plan now to get them work on other shows, perhaps. But honestly, I think everyone's just going to try and forget that this whole thing ever happened that they ever brought that show back. And I, you know, this was always going to happen, though, when you give people like this a platform and a voice, it, it you you can weaponize them. And I feel as if, you know, putting her on the air and then ripping her off for making a statement like this. On the other hand, for me, it feels like now this is just going to be more fuel for the Trump um, conservatives, Trump supporters um, in America, more fuel kind of calling out the liberal media elite. On the other hand, I don't care because I'm really just relieved that people like her are off the air. Um, but it's like a, it's almost a lose, it's a, it's a win-lose situation. Yes, we got her off the air, but now it's sort of like, oh, here's another, here's another, um, here's more fuel to the conservative fire to, to distract people from what the real issues are um, by giving them another sort of reason to point to the media, point to the entertainment industry and say that there's bias there and that there, of course, uh, there's no truth telling and it's fake news and it's all meant to silence um, conservatives, which is not the case. You can be conservative. I mean, Republicans, whatever. I mean, let's argue up and down about tax reform and social justice justice issues. But the issue here is this was not some kind of conservative political statement. This was like bold-faced racist, bold-faced racism on blast on a social media platform by a person who represents a company. So of course they were going to react in this way. If they hadn't, there's just, I mean, there would have been outrage. Um, and I think ABC did the only thing it could have done in this situation. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Just so much. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. I have been, social media, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but there are times when I just scroll and I'm just waiting for somebody to post their beautiful little baby or their house that they bought. And that's what I zone in on because it can be a lot. It, it sometimes makes me really anxious because there's so much going on and it can just be, you know, heavy. I'd love to love to learn what, what social media kind of um, inoculation practices are. Are you guys listening? Or are you guys, the listeners, are you guys doing? I'd love to know if you send us a tweet at the BA podcast um, on Twitter. Like, you know, what are you doing? Um, because it can be a lot. And I don't want to, I don't want to not know what's happening. But at the same time, I'm also not trying to like disrupt my peace, you know? So there's this weird thin line that I feel like I'm walking. That's what this show is for. I mean, I want to take this opportunity. So let's find, let's let's talk about something to sort of like balance out this whole Roseanne situation. Something that happened that gave me life and a lot of people life. Um, just yesterday in, in my home state of Georgia that I've got to talk about is Miss Stacey Abrams. She is going to, she is poised to be. She just won the Democratic primary, the Democratic nomination for governor to run for governor in the state of Georgia, which would mean that she has a shot to become, and this is crazy that in 2018, we still have not had this yet, but she could be the first African American female governor in America, in the entire country. I had no idea that there was no one, in the, we'd never had a, a black female governor before. But the fact that it's my home state of Georgia, that is taking a step in that direction, that is amazing to me. And I was talking to my little brother, well, I was texting him, because let's be real now, we don't talk, <laughs> we text. And I was saying like, man, you know, something like he's in his mid 20s, he's in Georgia, I feel like 
this is one of those states that is changing and has, has is is changing you know it's, it's so for so long my entire life has been red 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 you know i felt like living around atlanta we were in this little pocket um where things were a little bit more progressive a little bit more liberal but the entire state would overwhelmingly like override that liberal that progressive um you know community and now it feels like the there's a shift happening you know especially since the 2016 election where um there's a push to have more people of color more women um involved in politics young people i mean i i i know someone who was just a mom in the suburbs, a stay-at-home mom, and now she's part of a group where they are um, going, doing grassroots, like knocking on doors to support female candidates um, across the state. And it's just like this magical time. And I'm jealous. Like, I feel like, you know, living in New York in this uber, uber blue state opposite of my upbringing in Georgia, where, you know, I go to the polls and I vote, but it's like, okay, one more sort of vote in the progressive way. Um, but what's happening in Georgia is really exciting. And the fact that my brother and other young people are part of what's driving this change is amazing. So shout out to Stacey Abrams. What's truly like mind blowing, though, is that one of the ways that her opponents tried to tear her down was by criticizing her over the fact that she has hundreds of thousands of dollars um, of debt, which is a, a lot of that is student loan debt. And it, it was just funny to watch it blow up in their face so spectacularly, because guess who also has tens, if not that, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt right now, like everybody under the age of 45 in America. Everybody else, we're like, uh, hello, welcome to my life. Thank you for being relatable. <laughs> Super excited because Manny and I have an awesome guest that we intimated about a little earlier. Her name is Gayla. Yeah, like the fancy place that you go to. Gayla Jennings O'Byrne. Yeah, super awesome name. And what makes Gayla so special is that she's created something, um, is the founder of something that is specifically geared toward y'all, Brown Ambition. And also we share publicists. Shout out to Drina with PR. <laughs> Gayla started something called the Intent Manifesto. She's going to share a little bit more about her story, what the in Intent Manifesto is, um, and how this investment education platform is really going to help change um, the market realities for women of color and startups. And so it's right up my alley, right up Mandy's alley. We're happy to have you. Welcome, Gayla. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be here. This has been like the highlight. Even though it was a long weekend, this is the highlight of the week. <laughs> so excited to have you on the show, Gail. I think that your story is incredible. But let's go back and talk about where you've come from. I mean, you spent nearly two decades as an, in the investment banking world at J.P. Morgan Chase until a couple of years ago, you decided to turn um, pretty much turn away from that industry a little bit, um, leave your job at J.P. Morgan Chase, and instead launch a launch an effort to raise money and help women entrepreneurs um, raise capital for their businesses. So, so talk about what led you to leave J.P. Morgan Chase, and then of course what Intent Manifesto is all about. Yeah, um, I think uh, two two ways I can answer that. One is I got my heart broken when I was talking to a lot of my girlfriends who are entrepreneurs and they were sharing their stories with me about how hard it is to build their companies. And I kind of thought like, 
gosh, you know what? They've done everything society said, right? Like go to good schools, go get experience, start your companies, do X, Y, and Z. But yet on the other side of the house, Wall Street, the marketplace, the capital markets weren't there to meet them and support them. And I thought if if we can't help them, what are we really doing? And mm. particularly around technology. And with that, two other things happened. One is I got cancer in my eye. And I remember the doctor saying, listen, we're not going to know till we really get in there what's going on um, and, you know, and, and get inside. And so either we're going to, you know, we might go blind, you might die, we might do some skin grafts and take some of your cheek and cut your eye sh- eyelid, blah, blah. I don't want to get too graphic, even though I did. And I just remember thinking, Lord, if I get through this, I'm going to do things differently. And one of those things I said I was going to do differently, it was become a champion for women that look like me. And so I survived the cancer and I said, I need to leave JP Morgan. And I love JP Morgan, don't get me wrong, but I was like, I need to leave and live a life of purpose because I've been given a second chance. And so it took me about a year, I'll be honest with you. It took me about a year to wind down the projects I was working on at JP Morgan. And they were great through all my medical um, stuff. And I said, though, this is now what I need to do. I need to be a champion for women of color entrepreneurs because it is so hard for them. And the market realities are stacked against us, even though society says we're going to be there for you. Guess what? They're not. And so then I stepped out on faith. And now here I am two years later still working on this. And I get up every day enthused, jazzed, and blessed, and just knowing I'm on the side of right. I can hear so many women, anyone who's ever turned, you know, left a great job to pursue, you know, a passion or pursue the unknown is probably like nodding their heads here, feeling your pain. But what was that choice like for you to leave and branch out on your own? Was it terrifying? The idea of getting away from JP Morgan wasn't that I thought I would get away from JP Morgan. I just knew that if I was going to do this, I had to step out and be unencumbered by a hierarchy that comes with a big Fortune 500 like a J.P. Morgan. And so I had to set my own rules. I had to set my own goals. And I remember when I told people, I was like, I want to unlock a billion dollars for brown and black women, Mm. women of color. And people looked at me like, what? Now, they looked at me like I was crazy, but they said, okay, what do I need to do to help you? If I tried to have that same conversation inside JP Morgan, there's just, it's such a large organization that it would have sort of collapsed on itself. But to JP Morgan's credit, they saw me out there for about a year and a half working on this, talking wherever I could get invited to. And I'll tell you this, this topic, it is resonating with people all across the globe, not just here in the United States. So there is probably no door I can't knock on and get somebody to at least answer it because uh, everyone's trying to figure out how to be a part of women of color startups. Well, what? So what? Why this big push and trend toward women of color and entrepreneurship? I mean, I remember when I started my business. Honestly, I mean, I, 
there's nothing I could have, I could have ran naked in the street. Everybody was like, not interested, you know? <laughs> and it, I mean, now, I mean, I definitely feel the influx of like, oh my gosh, Tiffany, Tiffany, Tiffany. But yeah. why, where, where is this coming from? Why, you know, why do you think this trend has, we've become trendy? What's happening? Yeah. Well, you know, I think a couple of realities and data points are kind of finally sinking in with people and they're finally catching on to this, like, ah, there's some money to be made. There's some cool stuff happening over there. There's some real companies that are growing. And so they're also saying, but I don't even know any of them. I don't even know how to get in touch with any of them, right? Um, so just to sprinkle some of those data points out there, you know, eight, 600 to 800 companies are started each day by women of color. So while you and I were at our jobs today, six to 800 women of color went out and started a company today. Okay. They're the fastest growing segment of the entrepreneurial population in the United States. And I would venture across the globe. They generated $360 billion in revenue last year. And if we had invested in them in the way that we do with other demographics, right? Other entrepreneurs, they had the potential to generate $1.1 trillion in revenue. Mm. And they actually are growing companies. So you start from the recession of 2008 to now, men-led companies have lost a million in change in jobs. Women-led companies have created a million in change plus jobs. So they are adding jobs to the economy. So when you talk about Trump and the economy and how do we, you know, grow industries and stabilize neighborhoods and, you know, regentrification, all of that. People are now starting to get to that aha moment of the way to do that is invest in healthy companies. And where are those healthy companies coming from? It's women of color. I think what gets me so excited about Intent Manifesto and the work that you're doing is that you're not just, of course, you know, a, a part of your mission is to get the attention of venture capitalists and people with the money to invest in startups, you know, run by women of color, but you're also at a grassroots level trying to show people like me and people like our listeners that, you know, if you have some money to invest and in, let's say you've ticked all the boxes, you've got your 401k, you know, you've saved your emergency fund, but you're looking, you know, you're interested in investing and opportunities, you know, businesses that are getting off the ground, um, but you may not know where to start, like you're kind of helping us find our way to those opportunities to people who are doing cool, dope, you know, who have cool, dope new businesses and need investments and may not be looking to just get one, you know, massive investment from a venture capitalist firm, but maybe looking for, you know, at a micro level, smaller investments from many people, like people used to do in the old days when they were starting a business, just crowdfunding, crowdsourcing investments. You know, that that's the whole premise behind the manifesto, right? It's a campaign that's, that says, we have all the tools to invest in women that look like us. We can build wealth in community of colors. This isn't simply about banging on the doors of Wall Street saying, unlock those dollars and give them to us. It's about saying we can invest in ourselves. We can create wealth in our communities. And so to your question, right, how do I start? I go back to something my grandmother always said. We have gifts to give and gifts to get. And don't be afraid 
to start by giving them. And so when I think about your question of how do I start, I would say start local. Start with the gifts you have to get. Most of these entrepreneurs, it's a very lonely space, right? Like every decision kind of lands on your desk. You have to make it. Your team is always looking at you. Your investors are always looking at you. Sometimes they just need some mentors and an advisory board that they can just be like, you know what, here's the real dealio and I need help with this. I just need to bounce this off you. So, hey, I would say even before you put your, before you write that first check, I would say go and mentor an entrepreneur. And now listen, I'm not saying you got to do big sister, big brother, and you know, you're going to be in a relationship for the next 14 years till they graduate, you know, college, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, you can even give a half hour, an hour every other month for an entrepreneur to be able to call and be like, sis, I got this question. Like, how do I deal with this? Or, hey, do you know someone at XYZ company? Now, where you find those I would say start within your own social networks and your professional networks because that's where those women are. So first thing I would say to answer your question, right, is your Jack and Jill, your church, right, is your, your links. It's your alumni association, wherever you went to college, right? It doesn't have to be the Ivies, right? It could be the local college. It can even be going to the local college, right? It could even be this group here, right, uh, the listenership of... This, right? Like this is this is where we start to help each other. That's number one, I would say. The second thing is we gotta get comfortable with the notion that we can invest in each other. And the idea that we already are investors. You know, someone said to me today, um, oh, you're yeah, I heard about you, you're that venture capitalist. I said, No, I'm just that black woman who supports other women entrepreneurs. And it's just as simple as that. So how do I start? I'd say first we need to start by owning that label, investor, because we actually are doing it, right? We do tithing, right, with our church, right? We do it with our sororities, our, you know, local organizations, right? Like in those rosters are these entrepreneurs. So I have a question as an entrepreneur. So I, I'm part of this brown girl entrepreneur um group called, um, I think it's called like Brand Build Launch with Arsha uh, Jones. So what I love about it is it's all these brown women in there kind of like sharing resources and ideas or about some people are, are super far along as far as being an entrepreneur and some people are just starting out. And yeah. a, um, so a question came up about getting, um, about being funded. And I feel like oh, people of color are, are adverse sometimes to taking money. Um, and so where do we get resources like to even learn like what that looks like? I'm, I, I'm totally self, uh, funded. Like my business will hit seven figures last year. Well, one of my businesses hit seven figures last year, but we don't owe anybody anything, but I wonder we could have got here faster if we did, but I have no idea what it would even look like to get funding where I would go. you know, so what would you, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs? Because thankfully my business is largely online, so I didn't necessarily need a whole lot of funding, but there are businesses that cannot get out of the, off the ground without it. So what's yeah. the first step to that? Yeah. So there's a lot of resources out there. One place that is looking for us and wants to support us are these accelerators and incubators. And so for lack of a better word, these are boot camps, if you will, 
where a lot of mentoring and coaching and ecosystems are built and they do a lot around helping, you know, all of the sort of the technical assistance that entrepreneurs need. And also they spend a lot of time on helping them think about how to fund their business, whether they're even ready for venture capital dollars, whether it's loans, right, through banks, if it's through other programs. Um, one place where women, just as a side, do really well is crowdfunding. I think more of us should be involved in that, right? When you said, how do I start? We should be looking at angel groups and crowdfunding, right? So we start to get comfortable making these types of investments. Um, so I would say for the entrepreneurs, we need to take advantage of those incubator and accelerator programs. So often I get the calls from them saying, hey, do you know any women of color who are starting businesses? Because we've got some spots in this year's class. We'd love for them to apply. We'd love for them to come on board. Now, there's also some issues with those, right? Some of them are in parts of the country that, you know, we can't just pick up and leave our families and go for three months um, out to a boot camp, right? But there are a lot of them that are rethinking their programs and their models and are also in our backyard. So I would say for entrepreneurs, that is is prime for us. And we just haven't been taking advantage of it in the way we should. So I would say that first and foremost is the way to get involved. The other is, and, and this one's a really interesting one because I also think a lot of people aren't thinking about this, but on college campuses, one of the problems that they have is getting work experience for their students, right? So they tout, we're a great college, come to our college, pay our tuition, right? And, you know, because you've gotten a degree here, you're going to get a great, great job and a great career and all that. Well, guess what? A lot of them aren't able to get internships and work experience for their students. So they are dying to get experience for their students. So as an entrepreneur, I'd say go to the local colleges, one, because they've got a lot of these accelerator boot camps that I was talking about, right? So where you're going to learn about finance and, and how to fund your business. But two, you're going to get some really smart college students at the undergrad and graduate level that can boost out your team and help you with a lot of things that as you're getting started, like you said, you don't have the funds to pay for, but you know what? that could be a really cool social media person that can help, you know, with your web presence or your, you know, increase your followers on Twitter because they're on it anyway. And they're taking a marketing class that just, you know, did a case study on, on how to boost audiences on social media. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Gayla, you know, I actually, I read the I read a lot of emails from our listeners, and there are several out there who are look, looking to start businesses, would like to start their own business, and they may be wondering, you know, what are what are investors looking for in a business to to 
to show them, okay, this is going to deserve, this is going to warrant an investment. Um, I, I look at this owner and I believe in what they're doing and not just that, but they show me, you know, I see evidence that they have the potential to succeed. So I want to hear from you when you are, are um, not just for the intent manifesto, but, you know, in your own uh, personal experience investing in, in other companies by women entrepreneurs, what is it that you're looking for as an investor? Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer from what is, what I would look for if I were investing. I, and I think is, is what your question is. Um, so I would sort of take it to four things that I listen for. And, and, and listen, these aren't, you know, original to me. Um, the first is, is it a dynamic, innovative market opportunity? Like, are you solving a big, big problem? Is there a consumer pain point that you're solving? That's the first question. And I would say that falls into two buckets. One, a tech or business that I know and a tech or business that I don't know. And I think as women, we shouldn't be afraid of either of those buckets. Some okay. we're going to know the business and we'd be like, oh, yeah, I get that. I'm, I'm a consumer. I would buy that myself, right? And then there's going to be some products we're like, I don't really know what that is, right? Like we might not have really understood what Uber was when it was first being pitched, right? Now we all know what Uber is, but you know, if someone first came to us, we might not have really understood that shared economy. I'm going to get in somebody else's car. What? Right. And so part of it is like, be okay and have dollars that you're okay investing in companies that you don't really understand. Now it doesn't mean don't get smart on them, but be okay that like, you, you know, that it's not necessarily in your first layer of comfort zone, if you will. Um, the other thing is the founder. I was going out to meet with the guy who's an active investor, big wig out in Silicon Valley. And I was nervous. And oh my God, because I, you know, I wanted to ask him to, you know, fund some of my work. And as I was walking to meet him, a guy, oh, another white guy was walking out. And I sit down and he says, See that guy that just walked past? He goes, that guy lost me a lot of money. And I was like, ooh, okay, awkward, right? Like, where is this going to go? And he said, but you know what? I will invest in him again. And I was like, holy, 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 what? Okay, let's just stop right there. <laughs> like, everything that I wanted to talk about and, you know, my little pitch I had ready, you know, why he should be investing with me and women of color went out the window. And I just said to him, Why? And we talked for the next 20 minutes. And basically what he said was, is that that is the guy that can get it over the goal line. And he said, the reason why I believe he can get over the goal line is one is that he can execute. He doesn't talk about it. He just does it. And he doesn't always need it to be pretty and perfect the first time. And I was like, oh, my God. I get it because what he's saying is, and, and I, and I want to stop on this point because with women, I think sometimes we get stuck in paralysis around trying to be perfect. Yeah. And if you think about even like the internet, right? It was internet 2.0, 2.2, right? Like they just put out versions and they know they're not even right yet. We're going to fix the bugs in, in the next, you know, iteration, right? But as women, sometimes we want it to be perfect and pretty and, you know, the whole given 110%, all that, right? Like, we, we, you know, we get all caught up in that. Guys are like, I know it's not great, but let me just get it out there anyway, right? So that was the one thing he said was, A, he can execute. Even if it's not perfect, he's going to iterate and learn as he goes. 
And then he said, he can attract the right team. Mm. And for us, that's so important because I got to tell you, when I see a woman of color and she's got an A team, I'm like, damn, she basically got these people to come on board and charge up the hill with her. She may not have all the money. She may not have the biggest market share, right? They may still be in beta stage, but she has gotten these guys, gals, to want to charge up the mountain with her. And that's powerful. I saw this one company. She's a young girl, and she's got this guy who's got like 30 years in the game. And I'm like, damn, she got him, right? Like he could have written his ticket anywhere. Now, that's not the only reason why I would invest in her, but let me tell you, that is absolutely stopped me in my track. It's good to hear that because I it was just talking to, I, I have a bunch of entrepreneur friends and my peers that I lean on whenever I'm like kind of like struggling or stagnant. And we were, yeah. today's, um, today's conversation was all about teams. It's so funny that it, it, it seems like we, we all kind of hit the wall kind of at the same time when we're struggling. And I was just talking to a, um, a really close friend of mine and she was like, oh, a key team member decided to move on. And another friend of mine is struggling with one of his team members. And and I was just telling them because I have a, a core team of about 15 and like 10 additional folks that we, we typically use on a regular basis, but they might not be like on the team meeting, you know? Yeah. And someone was asking how, you know, how have you been able to um, keep and uh, attract these amazing, they're all, almost all of them are women of color. We've got like two guys who are, who are just guys, you know, but, and, you know, and, <laughs> have, guys. and somebody asked me how we were able. And I just said, honestly, I lost a major team member, um, a, a couple of years ago. It was, uh, it, and I, I can own the part that I played in not being a good leader. And so it taught me such a valuable lesson about like yeah. leadership and like how do you get your team on board and to to own the vision you know that you have. And so I'm just glad that you spoke about the yeah. So many women don't have teams. I wonder why that is, but it's just, I can't move forward without them. Yeah, and you know the other thing too, you you just hit on something is that vision. The other thing I see is that oftentimes we think small. So when I said, like, I want to unlock a billion dollars, for the most part, white people didn't think that was crazy. They're like, okay, well, you know, how can I help? You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, and they thought it was some philanthropy thing and said, yes, we have to rescue these women. I was like, okay, Sheila, <laughs> I will deposit that check if you want to write it, but you're not rescuing us. Like, <laughs> we're not rescue, we're not charity. Um, but then sometimes when I would talk to our folks, right, They'd be like, girl, you have a good job. Why are you leaving JP Morgan? Right. And I'd be like, listen, I got this vision. I got to do this. Right. I got to go out. And um, so sometimes, and, and listen, I'm as guilty of it as the next person. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was on a panel during International Women's Day, and there was a guy on the panel, and they were introducing him. And I, and I had read up on him earlier, so I kind of knew who he was. And I thought they said something like, he managed had an asset management fund with three uh, with three billion under management, meaning he manages other people's money, and in total, they're managing three billion in other people's money. Now, that's what I thought I heard. Now, 
fast forward a couple weeks later, I'm reading the press release and it says 300 billion. And I was like, holy shit. I, even though I'm sure the moderator said it correctly, my brain couldn't even process 300 billion, right? It stopped at 3 billion. And I remember thinking, wow, Gayla, you weren't even thinking big enough to even have your mind process it, even when it hurt it. Who was it that taught you to think big? I was just thinking, Mandy, you live. I was going to say that because it's so hard to get past yourself. I'm like, what can we listen to? How do we get there? Yes. Who taught you how to do that? I'd say the first person who taught me was my mother. Um, she is, for all intents and purposes, the hidden figure that you saw on the screen in the theaters. She was. She grew up uh, one of ten in the south, southeast Missouri, and they came to her, to my grandfather, and asked if she would go her her senior year to the white school. They wanted to try and integrate it. They had tried four years before with her brother. They weren't able to. And so with my mother, they asked if she would. And they said, listen, she knows all the formulas that are taking place in the chemistry class because she's seen them in the books and she's read them, but she hasn't seen it physically in a beaker and, you know, pouring one solution into another. So she went and did it. Her senior year, she was going to be valedictorian. She had a prom, all that, but she went and did it. And she spent that whole year in honors classes. There was no women in them, and there was no one else that was black. So it was her and a room full of white guys. Then she went on to work on the F-15 fighter pilot or fighter plane and the DC-10 and learned COBOL, right? Like Olivia who, uh, or Octavia Spencer, who took the book out of the library to teach her women uh, Fortran and work on the IBM mainframes. So that was my mother in Silicon Valley. That was in the 60s at the same time these women were over at NASA. She was over in Silicon Valley. And so she was my hidden figure. She was my trailblazer. And she was the one that taught me about thinking big. And she also taught me uh, that no one has ever died from the word no. And I have to tell you, it's actually kind of how I learned to read. Because I would say something and, she, and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to ask. Or, oh, I don't know. She's like go get the obituaries and tell me if anyone died from the word no. And I would go get it. And I'd be like, Mrs. Jackson, she's like bequeathed. (laughs) And I would like use the obituaries to learn how to read. And I was looking to see if anyone had died from the word no. Now, fast forward, I still read the obituaries. It's my favorite section. Um, And I love when the Oscars, the in memoriam section too. But she, she was my big thinker. And guys, sadly, Silicon Valley has not changed much. It has not changed much. The racism or what do they call it now? The pattern recognition or the unconscious bias or whatever they they won't call it now. Mm -hmm. It's still there. But it's crazy because now it's it's Joe Dropout in a hoodie and his girlfriend may be Latino but he's still not hiring diversity, right? But he's like, hey, I'm cool. I know all Jay-Z's songs, right? My girlfriend's Hispanic, right? But then you ask him, well, what's your team look like? Who have you hired? Who have you invested in, right? And it's all his buddies that are, you know, college dropouts with hoodies. So it's it's it hasn't changed. It just looks a little different. You know, 
I'd be remiss if I didn't just hearing you talk about bias, talk about the fact that today is May 29th. And this was the day that Starbucks was supposed to or, you know, did shut down a lot of its thousands of its stores to have diversity training in the wake of what happened in Philadelphia last month. And, you know, all these conversations around unconscious bias, you know, we've all been hearing about these for a long time. But what kills me is that, yeah, I guess it's, it's important to talk about unconscious bias in the workplace. And yeah, training is, is a nice, you know, it's a nice effort. But what's more important is just making sure that we, we, we check for that by having more people at the table who look different, think differently from each other, and putting more people of color in places of power, not putting, but, you know, helping them rise to or us helping each other rise to places of power is what's really going to turn, um, is going to make things uh, different. Listen, I'm probably going to get in trouble and I'll probably never get any Starbucks foundation or corporate sponsorship dollars. But when I read this morning that they're closing, uh, what was it, 8,000 stores this afternoon to do diversity training or sensitivity training, and it was going to be at a loss of $12 million for them. The first thing that went through my mind was, well, if they are willing to lose $12 million, why don't they just take the $12 million and invest it in the people that look like the ones that they are insensitive to, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why I was like, I have to be championing and getting us to address this problem ourselves. And I believe we can. I think so. And even when I went to J.P. Morgan and was talking with, you know, with them about this and others, I said, you know, we need to start with good stories of who these women are. And I said, and I want to have a manifesto that people can sign and say, yes, investing in this population matters and it's important and it's smart business and it doesn't have to be charity. And they said, absolutely. I said, because even in our own communities, I remember being at a a black tie event and the couple sitting next to me, black couple, and I think he was a, a intellectual uh, um, or a, a patent attorney. And I spent the whole dinner, right? I'm missing the speeches, the dinner. My chicken was probably cold, but it definitely got cold trying to convince him that there were women of color startups and they were thriving and doing well and worth investing in. And that was an aha, like, I'm spending more time even explaining to my own people that we need to be supporting each other. Like, he hasn't even seen it, right? Like, he probably, if I said, you know, oh, I I know a guy, you know, hedge fund guy, an image will come to mind. But if I said a Dominican artificial intelligence entrepreneur, I don't know if anything comes to mind. So what was great was J.P. Morgan was like, start there then. Tell good stories of who these women are and build a manifesto. And I said, and I'll build a manifesto that people can sign. And I want to be able to get to, again, (laughs) me, my bold. I was like, I want a million people to sign it so that we can say, guess what? A million people care about this. This is a social issue. This is our civil rights. This is our moment, our movement. We matter as well. And I want to be able to take that and share it with you know, Fortune 500s, I want to show that to Wall Street, right? But like, this is our moment to say, this population matters, we matter. And if we want to address all those other things, like, you know, crime and unemployment, like, start with us women, women of color, we're building, we're building companies. 
honestly, this conversation could not be more timely because I, I think about the roles that we can all play. I, I remember somebody, it was on some, I hate reading the comments sometimes on social media because somebody said, <laughs> somebody posted a picture of like their baby or some baby and the baby's name was very, you know, I guess, I mean, for lack of a better word, really black, you know, but it was a beautiful name. And someone said, oh, you're making sure your kid can never have a job because you picked a name that's going to lead them out of the job force. I said, or... You can start your own company and hire. Yo, I have a Natishka, exactly. a Jamisha. I've got a, I'm thinking about a Yada Lise. I've exactly. got a like, yo, I've got every type of name possible on my team. And Logan, when she shows up with her big fro on screen, I'm like, yes. And I have an online school and I specifically pick 99% of women of color. Like, oh, you want a lawyer? Let me get Art Steele with her fro and her two-year-old. Yes. And, but but work for Discovery and was managing $30 million, you know? And let yes. me get, so it's, it, or let me, I remember I had a Dominican woman who taught investing and this girl wrote me, she's like, yo, I watched last night the class with tears in my eyes that you had this girl with her Dominican accent, but who was clearly brilliant teaching us how to begin investing. And I was like, and that's, that representation, I feel like I don't ever, I don't want to go to the table and ask anymore. I don't, I want to make my own table. You know, like exactly create a space where you can come here. You come first here. Someone asked me the other day, like, you know, you should think about kind of recrafting yourself to be like Oprah, you know, to be like, you know, when yeah. you think of Oprah, you don't think about like, oh, not no shade to Lady Oh, obviously she's amazing. Nah, but you don't think of nah. like, you know, women of color for, oh, you know, it's just women overall. And I'm like, that's cute. And I don't mind that. I, the thing is, we don't turn anyone away, but I am very clear about the intent. I am here you come first, second, and third here. No one yes. is turned away, but you are the focus. There's enough places where everybody else comes first. And yes. I just think that what you're doing is amazing because we we rarely come first. And I just want to thank you for, yeah. for, a, for creating another space where we can. Yeah. And listen, remember how I started? I said we have gifts to give and to get. So even in this space, I... Every conversation when I'm talking to potential supporters and investors, I'm not coming asking them, I'm inviting them. Like we are, women are doing some cool shit and you don't even know about it, right? Like the next Facebook, Uber, Google, it's being created right now by a sister and you don't even know about it. But aren't you glad you know me now? Cause I'm going to help you and, and match you up with her and introduce you to her. So it's not like, oh, please go and help her. Right. It's not a rescue. Right. It's like, we have gifts to give. Like we're giving you an opportunity to invest in us. Kayla, I'm so excited about what you're doing with Intent Manifesto. You guys, if you want to sign the Intent Manifesto, again, Gayla's looking to get a million signatures. This is all you have to do is go to intentmanifesto.com. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes and sign your name and your email address. And basically, this list is going to show people that yes, people are interested in learning about women of color, entrepreneurs and the businesses they are creating. And you can go to again to intentmanifesto.com, right, Gayla? Yeah. And, and listen, and we start, and I hate to, you know, harp on, but signing that manifesto, because I got to tell you guys, when people see numbers like that, right, like 100 people signed the manifesto, 100,000, a million, like people stand up and, and take notice, right? Like that's, that's how corporate, that's how the gatekeepers of capital go, oh, okay, well, shit, we better do something about this. People care about this. Mm-hmm. That's how we start. That's how we start. Share that so, website one more time for us. Yeah, Intent Manifesto. So I N T E N T 
manifesto.com. Thank you so much, Gayla. Again, Gayla Jennings O'Byrne, you guys, thank you for coming on the show and talking to us about Intent Manifesto. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And I can't wait to see you guys and listeners out and about supporting women entrepreneurs. It's going to be fabulous. I'm excited. That is it for us, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at the BA Podcast. Reach us on Instagram at Brown Ambition on Instagram or go to brownambitionpodcast.com. We're still taking your questions, which we'll answer on next week's show. We also have some exciting guests coming up in the month of June, so stay tuned. And if you really want to show people your support for Brown Ambition, please go to iTunes, leave us a review. We are so excited to have five-star reviews right now. And the more reviews, the easier it is for people to see our show. And you guys are what keep us going. Thank you and have a great week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.